The Spin-Off Podcast Network. At Zed, we're all about moving with the times. And now it's time to be part of the climate change solution and move on from fossil fuels. As a company providing fuel to people all over the country, we also know we have a real opportunity to lead that change. We're committed to keeping Aotearoa moving by providing the right energy for everyone. We believe that innovation in fuel and how it's used can make a huge difference to our planet. Find out more at z.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. No my hare mai ki dietary requirements, the spin-offs food podcast. Kita hia kaiaho, and I'm your host, Simon Day. As always, I'm joined by the spin-offs food editor, Alice Neville. Kia ora, Alice. Kia ora, Simon. She's not just the food editor, Simon. The deputy editor. Yeah, yeah. Don't you forget it. She's my boss now. Woohoo! me. Work it. And <laughs> Auckland's me. leading kebab swordswoman, Sophie Gilmore. Thank you. Thank you, Kia ora, Simon. It's really wonderful to have the band back together in the flesh, because each month we get together to talk shit about the cultural, social and political function of food. It's a little Ooh. new intro I've written Ooh, for you. I love it. And we have some of the buzziest people in the New Zealand hospitality scene join us, although this guy we've got today doesn't really count. <laughs> it's also an excuse to eat and drink delicious things. We've got um, noodles from Sunnytown today and our in-house beer provider, Garage Projects Golden Path and Happy Days. And it's our first episode reunited since the perils of COVID-19 ripped us from the studio. And it's also the second birthday of the spin-offs food section and dietary requirements, which is very exciting. Woohoo! We made it. I can't believe Alice managed to make it to two years. Is this the longest you've ever had a job? <laughs> no. <laughs> Getting pretty close, though. I'm just joking. I blame the journalism industry rather than my own shortcomings, but, <laughs> you know, my bosses may disagree. This podcast and our food cov- coverage would not be possible without the support of our wonderful sponsor, Freedom Farms. They believe that everyone who eat, eats meat has a responsibility to know how those animals have been raised. Their pork, bacon, and free-range eggs are fucking delicious, and without them, we wouldn't be here, so please buy all their things from the supermarket. And to celebrate the beginning of Season 3 of Dietary Requirements, we're going to make a few very small changes. You may or may not even notice them. We've started an Instagram account. You better notice that. Please follow us, at Dietary Requirements Podcast, because what self-respecting food influencers don't photograph everything they eat? We're going to reintroduce some segments. Ahead of each recording, the three of us are going to 
get together and eat at the same place, hopefully. We've got very busy schedules now that Alice is the deputy editor, Sophie's running like six businesses and raising <laughs> a child, and I've got twins. But we're going to then review them, not in your traditional way, but sort of look at what a place says about food and eating. And we're also going to reinstate cooking tips for our listeners, but these will come just from our guests because we'd sort of used every last smidgen of our... <laughs> yeah, we already passed with our only wisdom. So on that note, today's guest is Duncan Grieve, the founder and managing editor of the spin-off. Kia ora, Duncan. I'm sorry it's taken two years to get you onto Dietary Requirements. Kia ora, Simon. This is actually me completing the full set, I think. Really? Two years? Yeah. But now he's appeared on every single spin-off podcast. Maybe. I've definitely appeared on Business is Boring and Gone by Lunchtime, which are two rare ones. I don't know if I appeared on the box one. Surely you on haven't been on On the Rag. You're a man. No. It's feminist, but does that mean men can't go on I it? don't know. I reckon they should be banned. <laughs> <Men can't laughs> <have periods. laughs> I think you're perpetuating the stereotype. Yeah, it. maybe. That's right. But to, no, it's a joy to be here. And to engage immediately with uh, our new segment... What is a cooking tip that you'd like to share with the listeners? What I want to know, because you're a vegetarian and you seem to use it quite a lot, how the fuck do you make sun-fed fake meat taste good? Oh, um, I, look, I, I, the, the irony of my appearing on this is like I think I have objectively bad taste in food. Like I don't <laughs> know what is good. Good to come clean up front though, I reckon. Yeah. Well, you know, like I think I've got really good taste in music and television and writing and basically heaps of things, but you can't yeah. do great at everything. And I just think I, I've got like... There's room for improvement. No, but I, well, I just, I just don't think... Don't care. I just don't think I'm good at it. And I, I think trying to be... High, you know, I think I've got relatively good taste in beer and like, like liquids, but food is just... I Can I ask, is that like because you're a food philistine or is it because your taste buds, like, you're just not phased? I think because I, I reckon it's a combination of both. Right. Like, I am sort of, to an extent, a proud philistine in lots of areas. But it's also that I think I went became vegetarian when I was 14, mm -hmm. when it was actually quite a difficult thing to be a vegetarian in New Zealand. Yeah, so it narrowed down your tastes quite so considerably. quite a formative, a long and formative period, I was eating just really bland food because that basically felt like it was all there was. I get that. And now there's all this, you know, much broader palette and I just don't feel like I'm ready for it. So in answer to your <laughs> question, Simon, I um, basically just fry it any, in any oil. seasoning? And then like I... And then it, you don't mind if it tastes this, good after that there, or not? There's these like packets of um, pre-sliced vegetables that come with like a ginger sauce. Thing. It's like really sad. Like... Uh, like really, like genuinely, I feel you buy pre-sliced. Yeah, oh, yeah, I do. Um, in a plastic packet. Yeah, it's in a plastic packet. Okay. Yeah. I'm right. like, I'm not proud. I'm like ashamed. Like profound. Like I'm sweating, like quite intensely now. Alice is our in-house uh, recycling monitor. Waste reduction monitor. Waste reduction monitor, and she's like a head prefect of the spin-off, and it's. Really good that we have her, but it's real fucking annoying as well. Like, you get taken <laughs> down if you use a disposable coffee cup. And well, the purpose honestly. of, like, in the context of that is that pre-sliced vegetables are wrapped An in plastic. An abomination, yeah. yeah. Though I do reuse the bag to put my cat's bad things. Poo. Yeah. 
What a cat. I'm going to say it on the slide. Don't cats Devin just go podcast. in the garden? And no, our, our, our cat's just gotten too old for that. Oh, okay. Oh, so gross. Like, Is like that cutie or the other No, one? no, not cutie. Like, I feel like cutie one. might be like trolling us. Maybe this was all a giant mistake having Duncan on. But <laughs> the reason he's here is because today we're talking about malls and food courts. As we've all been in awe of the opening of the finally, the opening of Commercial Bay on the Auckland CBD waterfront. It took a long time, but now that it's here, it's pretty magical. Sophie has literally been carving lamb off a spit for Fatima's delicious Ooh. shawamas. Yeah. She smells like there's been a fire in the uh, shearing shed at the moment. Absolutely no surprises there. <laughs> and although food courts are usually unglamorous, more often than not a little bit of a grimy dining destination, when they're done well, they're glorious. Like what? In what other setting can you gather as a group and someone have a butter chicken with naan, someone have a pad thai, another person have a beef rendang, and you can all sit at the same table? It's beautiful. Mm. Nowhere else. I like that. But in malls, food courts were usually an afterthought, a sort of necessary but unwanted place that allowed people to refuel before they shopped a little bit more. However, Duncan, who is a big-time mall rat, Wrote a really interesting story after visiting a heaving commercial bay on the weekend about how this new development has revolutionised the way that the mall works by making the food the centre of its offering and the shopping sort of the periphery. Can you explain your thesis? Yeah, sure. I, um, I do love malls. I like the fact that all different kinds of people come there and commune to, to experience the joys of uh, commercial retail. Um, but I think that's why I hate them. Yeah, that's why most <laughs> people hate them. And again, Philistine and just, just someone who generally like, if, 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 a lot, if a large group of people like me have a particular opinion, I start to find that quite stultifying. But anyway, um, the, the, I mean, just going to Commercial, commercial Bay, which um, like I, I didn't have a lot of preconceptions about it, but it's quite abundantly clear when you get into it that f the way that it treats food is so different mm -hmm. to the way that I've seen food treated anywhere else. And even, you know, you look at like the Westfield, the newly redeveloped Westfield and Newmarket, which tried to make a big deal about its food, had them on the roof, had kind of alcohol as part of its offering and so on. It just, it still feels like it's tucked away somewhere. It's still basically a way of dragging you through it so that you can... Yeah. Shop more, um, and so the the two the it felt like Commercial Bay was like an inversion of the traditional mall in the sense that the food court was the heart of it, and the retail was something that you sort of onsold to take advantage of the primacy of the food court. And the other big thing is that it um, uh, it it doesn't have. I mean, it, it's right next to the council car park and, and service bike, but it doesn't have a car park of its own. In fact, the core transport infrastructure is not a giant car park with a nearby motorway off, off and on ramp. It's a giant train station, which is only going to get more and more used as time goes on. And so mm. it feels like it hasn't been sold this way, but it feels like kind of a revolution. End thesis. I I could um, reiterate that and say that. I think that they were smart and that was their vision. So that's really awesome um, realised because as a tenant... Oh, no! Oh, no! The pizza on the wire. <laughs>
It's the most Alice thing that ever happened. Yeah, that's a real blowout. That'll be um good 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 uh, for Jane to know that Dan animals. Yeah. You're right. <coughs> hello, hello. Frida attacked a courier. My dog chewed through a cord. Chick, chick to the mic. Chick, one, two, coming through Subaru. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. I can't um, wish I could remember those scribe lines. Um, I have to say I agree with you, Duncan. Um, I think that as a tenant, they sold us the dream. They got, you know, the presentations out and the PowerPoints and they were changing Auckland and it was a laneway precinct, not a mall for that matter. Um, but I think that the the vision has actually been realised and um, it's awesome. I agree. That's actually really rare, like in my experience, that the vision from the plans mm. is matched by the execution. And the yarn. It's normally the yarn that they give you about the vision. Yeah. And, and then it comes to opening and it's been like two years delayed and no one's still there. Especially when they would have said, you know, we're going to fill it with independence mm. and it's not going to be the same... I mean, that's the other thing that's quite radical about it is if you look at the tenancy crossover between sort of the the rest of the top 10 malls, there'll be a very high number that are present in all of them or like mm. eight out of 10 of them. The, the Particularly in the food offering, but also in the, the retail side, there's a lot of places that are nowhere else or are nowhere else that's that's also like a, mm. a quote-unquote mall. So, yeah, it's just, it's kind of, cool to, that, that they've um, that they've actually stayed true to their word, which must be nice as a tenant. Yeah, it really is. And I think um, that it, what happens in, when they talk about the vision and the dream is that they have to compromise or they just cop out because of, you know, not locking in the tenants. And the problem with supporting small local businesses or independents is that they don't have the cash. So you're asking more of them, which means just... By virtue of that, they need more support. They need more financial um, backing. And, you know, it's it's more work at the landlord end, I think. Hey, team. Sorry to interrupt. It's producer T here. Just wanting to tell you about the spin-off members. A new, well, not really new, but an initiative to help us fund all the journalism that you want to know. You can email us. Tell us what you want to see. Anything you want. Visit thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. And while you're here, just just listen to one of our other podcasts. Do it. I'm telling you. It's a great time. Okay, bye. I was down there this morning and it was so busy. Like, it has to be the busiest place in mm. the city. It's like a scrum. And there is people visiting almost every one of the uh, restaurant offerings. But that's, that's a question I had is for you as a tenant, when there are so many different places... I think it's 31 mm, different. Yeah, something like that. How, how do you create enough demand in quite a small city for that to be financially viable for everyone? Or is there going to be a natural attrition? Well, I think it goes back to what Duncan said, though. It's smart. It's the tenancy mix. And do you remember when Ponsonby Central opened and everyone was like, wow, this is genius. It was like a mix of high and low and a mix of local and pop-up and it was a like it was all the things and there was um people flocked to see it and to be part of it because everyone felt included and I think that ever since then people have landlords have been trying to recreate um precincts is what they always say I remember when we had Bird on a Wire we'd get emailed by someone creating the new Ponsonby Central every week <laughs> but and even in Ponsonby Central we've seen spaces fail like multiple times especially in certain yeah. parts of that uh, property, you know, what 
there were places today that weren't nearly as busy as other places. Like, how do you, how do you, your, your success relies on everyone else's when you're in a place like that. How do you feed into each other's yeah. uh, success? Yeah, I think um, it's, it's the landlords getting to know the businesses and what their strengths are. Um, and then they've provided quite a lot of support down there. So they didn't just go, like a Westfield sort of goes through and goes, we need a chicken operator, we need a curry operator, you know? And that's quite different to saying who does chicken really well in Auckland and how can we support them to be ready for our opening? And so I think that was the conversation. And so if people do churn, and we can presume that will happen because not everyone will be successful there, um, there will be a space for someone that is um, of equal or in the same category as them to take their place. But they've purposefully made everyone different, but also there's a common thread in the sense that they've all been helped along a bit with their marketing and their branding and their imagery and that kind of thing. So everyone's, like the bar's been raised for those that were um, the underdog maybe, and then that means that they've got a shot against the people that have more sophisticated setups. How did it feel for uh, the tenants, but the owners as well, when, as they finally came closer to this opening, that then a pandemic arrived? Did that stress everyone out? Yeah. I mean, it probably stressed the landlord out um, just as much as everyone else. They've been trying to get this mall open for two years. and Laneway... Ladyway Precinct open for two years. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it was really disappointing because we already had staff and we had trained them and started paying them and then we all had to close. So, in a way, it was um, really difficult. But I think the flip of that is that we opened on the first day of Level 2, which meant that everyone was basically able to revert to being their best selves because there was a lot of, like, learning and adjusting in level three and if we'd opened in level three it might not have gone off with such a bang and I don't like we just referred to how many crowds there are I don't know how you can socially distance in that kind of situation so yeah I think it was a blessing and a curse. It's, it's quite a like when you sort of think about what the, the sort of worst case scenario that was threatening the development and all the operators in, in March, April, the fact of uh, the fact of being able to open successfully, it, it seems so unlikely and, and so great for it. It also felt like something about the timing of it and and the way that it met on that weekend where you know they had that sold out Blues game. Um, sounds like an even weirder thing to have happened, <laughs> to be honest. Um, that that like you know that it almost became the the most kind of visible uh, expression of that national exultant mood. Has that maintained? Like, because the, it was like frenzy to the point of like you walk through and then leave immediately. Yeah. yeah. Um, the I think the short answer is yes, because people, um, I read your article and it said that a quarter of a million people went through in the first four days, right? So I think the other quarter of a million came through in the next six days and then another quarter of a million came in the next two weeks. And so, yeah, it just it feels like people are still coming to see the space. But the fact that Simon was there this morning and it's Tuesday and it was cranking and it was the morning is quite fascinating, isn't it? So, like, where are these people coming from and what are they doing? Like, where were they before this? Yeah, I think, do you remember in one of our lockdown pods, 
we were talking about how certain people were predicting that even if once we went back to normal post lockdown, things wouldn't be the same. People wouldn't want to jam into malls and bars and stuff rugby anymore, games. rugby games. But actually, I think everyone was just gagging to do that. I know I was. You know, there was certainly a feeling of it's nice to be back together again, yeah. people. Like, there were people that were thrilled to be out. And you definitely would have all spoken to people that found it all a bit much. Mm. But I think that because, you know, fingers crossed, we're done. But as a nation, we all just went into hibernation for, like, the four or five weeks. And then we came out of it. It was a celebration. It felt like, you know, I felt like congratulating everyone. Yeah, yeah. and there was a whole bunch of forces that acted on that from the support local or the people yeah. particularly the hospitality and retail that had been closed through that period of time there was the fact that everyone had been sitting at home a lot of people if they hadn't been made redundant were had been you know saving without even really trying to through that period and just the general pent-up desire to experience freedoms that you've been denied and that weren't possible anywhere else in the world mm. uh the fact that that was possible plus there was just a whole bunch of new things you know mm. that that's where the the sort of genius of it not just being another ball it was like mm. this was you know and that's what the um i forget his name at the precinct ceo said like you know this is not this is a unique offering you know yeah. that, that, so that, like you've got to have something that's that's not available anywhere else yeah it's a lot of um new zealand boutiques first retail store which is obviously makes for a whole lot of bunch of mini celebrations as well and then when you put those together they all get to go to their favorite restaurant or their new restaurant that's owned by someone else you know the guys that have another restaurant that they love or whatever so it was like there was every store had people going into it that seemed thrilled and they've done quite a good job I think of um having useful things there so like I literally what's that mean uh, like s service businesses is what I mean. So I was probably at Commercial Day Bay every day until last Sunday. And, you know, girls got to get her nails did. And then across the hallway, what do you know? What do you know? And then I got my eyebrows done because very usefully next door there was an eyebrow place. And then someone else in my team had their teeth whitened mm. before work one day. Before work. So yeah. basically, no could you move into Commercial Bay and just like live there for like a couple well, weeks? Well, at this stage, I was living there. Yeah. And the only place I'd been was Fatima's or the mobile loading dock downstairs. And Is I there a over. place to fix your iPhone screen? I think there would be, but I can't be sure. I haven't looked all the way around. That's I'm, what's so interesting. I, I spent, you know, maybe half an hour just walking this yeah. morning. And... It's a mall where it's okay to get lost in. Like getting lost in Lynn Mall or St. Luke's is the pits. It's, oh, it's quite anxiety scary. attack material, right? Duncan there. might like that. He's I offended by that kind like, Don't talk like St. Luke's is right there. <laughs> she can probably hear you. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. A, there are two characters in Jonathan Franzen's The Corrections that get lost in a mall and die. Two old people. They can never they never escape That's the car. Such friends in. <laughs> um what can, but, can we, no, no, we were avoiding the big question. Like, and no one's talking about it. What the fuck is going on with the Rod and Gun Cafe? Oh, my God. Oh. I cannot believe you just said that because I was going to say, let's talk about something else weird. What's with the Rod and Gun How, restaurant? I mean, it's bold. Is like, it a cafe it's a, it's a, or a it's, it's a big sideways. It is it's a restaurant. Punchy. It's right? like 200 square It's meters. massive. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's like street front. And it's got to be one of the most expensive leases they in the whole place. They opened that in Queenstown. Queenstown. 
There's, it's like and a obviously Lodge Bar vibe. Because they had oh, that guy from New York. What's his name? The New York, the New Zealander. Matt. What's his name? You know. From the Muscat Lambert, room. yeah. Doing the food. And right. like, so got like sh- and that Monique Fessel was setting it up, the Queenstown one. Wow. And they had oh. someone doing the wine, Cameron Douglas or something. Does it tag so into I don't the... Kinda, I don't get why it's rod and gun. Like, it's weird, but... I mean, like, basically all clothing stores are looking for sort of ways that they can offset rent and, and kind of take their... Basically try and get people in there. Like, I mean, the Barkers in Ponsonby with, like, uh, yeah, hairdressers well. yeah, yeah. and a cafe. And it, well, it goes well for everything but the... Uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but, like, it doesn't trade as well on clothing as it should. Is that yeah, Ponsonby... Right. Um, or is that you know the fact that it's also a cafe and a yeah. a barber? But um, that seemed like that, that that's sort of one thing, and it sort of makes mm. sense. But just leaping to full like full restaurant seemed brave as hell. Yeah, and know? it's like got its whole own aesthetic. It feels like you are up in the Alps or something. Yeah, you know, they've yeah. got like so they're tapping into that vibe. Are they selling like 100%. freshly shot venison? I actually haven't Probably. seen the menu, but the staff are all like looking very swish. It's it certainly feels as though it's Queenstown appropriate, and in the same way that Botswana butchery feels really Queenstown appropriate. Mm. And then you get to Auckland, you're What's like, a hmm, lot of furnishing in here. Like feels a bit, yeah. I don't know, interesting. But That's but so- was that particularly sort of cruise ship targeted? Because you you know like they'll be mm. sort of stumbling straight out of the terminal. It's street front. And you want to sell them these clothes with this New Zealand story, and you want to sell them food with a New mm. Zealand story, and it sort of makes sense for that market. They, they might be like, are they trading? What's your, what's the vibe? I, I've I've seen people eating them there. That would be the extent of my knowledge on the issue. Uh, it, it's never looked rammed. I've seen people having a nice time in there, and I've spoken to a couple of people who've had lunch and said it was good. A couple of people have said that the service isn't ideal, but. Stylish, but not ideal. Mm. So how much of Commercial Bay do you think is targeted at international tourists? And how is that going to, like, is that going to be problematic? Because that's before it opened, that's what Mm. everyone was thinking. I don't think it's targeted at them. I think that we would all have loved the extra cash from those people. I think it's been designed to give a New Zealand experience and one that New Zealanders enjoy. And the people that are in there are um, a really accurate reflection so far, this is my experience standing on the till for three weeks, of the diversity of Auckland, which actually makes me feel good because, you know, we say we live in a city of two million, but it's like, you know, everyone sticks to their own corners. So I found it quite diverse so far and hopefully it remains that way. That's like what Duncan said, what malls do is bring people together. But it's also what I think about the opportunity that food has. It's sort of it's the idea that everybody eats is based on, is that we can all come together around shared tables and it's get to know each other. It's a great equaliser. And get to know each other a little bit better. Now that's kind of what Commercial Bay is doing in both uh, forms, in mall and food space. But also that way that food courts have the unique way of offering such a diversity of um, different cultural cuisines. Yeah, and I think um, as a as a proposition to a consumer, I guess it's the it's like the manifestation of them going the way that people's hearts are through their stomachs. So let's just get it right, and then hopefully they go and spend some cash. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it, it really like the the thing that sort of spoke to me about it was the way that um, eating and dining out and drinking out has replaced like you know when when I was going a teenager and then Loitering. in the nineties it was like going to the mall to go to buy like new heinously overpriced CDs from Sounds or whatever. And that was that was so much of my discretionary income went on mm. sort of culture in the broader sense of the word. And I never thought about what was sustaining me through that food food wise. And that just wasn't like a big thing. And it feels like that, you know, culture is now this commodity that you buy access to or, or and you can get freely if you can't afford access to it. It's sort of massively diminished in terms of where, where it is in terms mm. of people's discretionary spend. Whereas food, the, the the culture of it, the 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 fact of getting together and, and the whole exploring the world through its various kind of mm. constantly refracting cuisines is like that seems to be so much more central to so many like across demographics. You know, my nineteen year old daughter is as interested as my sixty seven year old yeah. mum, you know, in in they 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 are keen to go to the new places. We went to go to it the first um, yeah night we could, you know. And I think that's quite interesting as well because I remember I wrote an article a couple of years ago, but the statistics basically say that as food culture has um, come to the fore more and become um, busier and more talked about, home cooking has declined. So all these people are foodie and they want to be out there and they want to be eating the food, but send them home with a few ingredients and. They buy vegetables in a bag already chopped up. Does Jet know how to cook? Yeah, she's good. She's she's pretty. Um, she in lockdown. She was just sending me pictures of all the crazy shit she was making. But I think she's a bit rare, rarer on uh, um, on that front. Um, one thing that you wrote wrote about in lockdown, which was really well read, and I was really interested in, was the sort of oh. the general plight of. Hmm. Um, a kind of an oversupply and an underprice of yeah. of hospitality, which Commercial Bay on one level by being a magnet seems to have potentially solved for its tenants and yes. that it feels like there's enough to go around if they go around enough. But that that's going to inevitably draw people away from other locations. What do you sort of see its impact being and, and how do you, do you, do you have a sense of how the rest of the hospitality sector is, is coping post-lockdown? Post well, it's interesting you say that. I have had enormous feedback from people on that um, article, and particularly from small businesses that have just randomly written to me going, I didn't think that I had the guts to do it, but I read it and I decided to do it, and my customers didn't complain or they didn't notice or something and now my business is actually viable and I'm so happy. Oh my changing god. Changing the world, the spin-off. That no, changing the world. And isn't that so interesting? So maybe sometimes people just need a bit of confidence because they're sitting there going, does anyone else like, how how are they charging $12 and how are they surviving? And if you walk around Commercial Bay, the food is not cheap but it's not supposed to be cheap, it's supposed to be good. Mm. And you can't be good and cheap and unless you're compromising in one way or another. So, but another thing is that standing on that till every day for three weeks, I think I had one person comment to me on price. And I noticed that people are being clever about how they spend. So if they don't want to spend $20, they just don't get a drink and they're happy to pay what the food costs. And like, you know, maybe the drink has become the treat and you don't need a $5 soda on top of your 
$15, whatever. But I've only had one person go, is it $14 just for a Peter? And I was like, yeah. He goes, whoa, and walked away. <laughs> but, you know, then I look at, like, I do a bit of work with Peter Pitt, and they're thirteen fifty. So, you know, it's not, I, th- I think it's on the whole um, really great that there is a landlord that's been realistic um, and hasn't gone right. Everyone needs a $12 lunch special. So that happens. Yeah, oh, yeah, that sort of thing. Will happen quite often in those situations, and wow. it's um, Queen's not. Rise did that, but the already struggling tenants just had to cover it themselves. The landlords just like you all have to do a twelve dollar lunch special. And they're like you fucking like, lunch doesn't cost twelve dollars. Sorry, like that's not even a thing. So hard mm. fifteen dollars is what lunch costs, and you should either buy your lunch for fifteen dollars or make it yourself for cheaper. In my yeah. view, rather yeah. than putting pressure on people to. You know, I, I, I think there's a funny, um, almost like consumer suspicion around profit. Like, oh, they're going to rip us off. It's like, have you ever seen a restaurant or cafe owner drowning in cash? Like, yeah. the answer is no. So just let them have a bit of profit because they need it to survive. Yeah. But there is a culture in New Zealand, I think, especially where we undervalue uh, our food. Duncan is about to leave because he's very busy. Before you do, what's your favourite food court in New Zealand? Oh, um, it was, it was uh, unquestionably Food Alley, um, and I am deeply saddened. It was just so lost a couple so, of so big food courts. Mercury. We really have the, those, those two were total total icons. Um, uh, yeah, I, I just I like a a grimy food court that can only possibly be trading off its food, mm. um, not at all off its sort of geography or, Although or bright Alley lights. Although had a so. charm, a certain charm. Oh, it, it did, but it was very much but like a, a gri- yeah, grimy, cold, yeah, yeah. dangerous, yeah, poorly yeah, maintained yeah. Charm's, charm. Charm's not yeah. a word I would have used. Um, delicious. <laughs> yeah. Where would you go? Now? No, in Food Alley, what was your oh, favourite Oh, I went you? to um, Kampong Delights mm, upstairs. Yeah, good. It was yeah. real good. And that, that was, again, like just probably the worst location in the, or one of the two or three worst locations in it. Um... You know, they but they just they just knew what they were doing. Just went off like a frog in a sock. Yeah, I don't, I want to know what's happened to to them. You know. Yeah, we need to do that follow up story. We do. And by we, I mean me. Yeah, the food and section. nothing you like more than to writing write. stories. All Thanks, right. Duncan. Really appreciate. It. You can read. Duncan. Duncan. We'll put a link to Duncan's story uh, on the pod uh, post, so you can follow that. Yeah, up. we yeah. will. Thanks. What is, what is your favourite food court, Sophie? What is my favourite food court? After Commercial Bay's Laneway Precinct, of course. The one that I frequent the most, say, is the Ponsonby Food Court. That might be because it's my local, but I think I've found the things in there that are very delicious, and I tend to repeat those things. So quite often I get the um, Vietnamese rice noodle salad with the lemongrass dressing. I quite often eat the laksa, and you can ask for extra vegetables, and they put, like, a whole broccoli in it. It's so yum. Um, I once a terrible story about that food court. My husband is a little bit prone to um, he's got a penchant for a good value meal. So we went there and they have plates, and there's dollars. The Chinese joint there's got dollars written on the plate. So like the side plate seven dollars, the medium plate's ten dollars, the big one's fifteen. 
I have never seen anyone more embarrassingly pile a a $7 (laughs) side plate full of so much food. And then just when I was about to vomit, I turned around and he like balanced an egg foo yong and a spring roll on the top of it. I was like, I am not sitting with you. (laughs) You know, just when we're talking about restaurant owners trying to hustle to make a profit. Exactly. David's undercutting their entire day's day. (laughs) Exactly. That's why I have to write these things. Alice, a favourite food court? Well... I also loved Food Alley and I love Ponsonby Food Court. But to say something different, I was trying to think about Wellington from whence, no, not from whence, whence I hail. And there was this place called James Smith's Corner. And I'm just trying to kind of remember if it was really a food court. It was like a market, a kind of weird hippie place. You'd go in and you could buy like your weird creepy jewellery and then just little food stalls. It was pretty much a food court, I think. I'm just trying to remember it by Googling it. But that was my favourite food court. And where is that, it in Wellington? Oh, it's on the corner of, um, it's not there anymore. Well, corner of Cuba and Manor, Manors. But then there was also that one on Willow Street that was kind of creepy and depressing that was underground. I used to go there quite a lot. But yeah, James Smith's Corner, if that can be uh, deemed a food court. Well, we, it, it shall be deemed from this day forth a food court. I'm going to do some research. What maybe, is the maybe name a story. of the, we'll, we'll call it a food court as well. Yeah. Um, it's sort of, it's covered, it's off Cuba Street, um, Asian noodle places. Oh yeah. And it goes. Uh, left if you, Bank. Left Bank. That's I, good. I yeah. enjoy Left Bank, especially because it finishes at Sourdough Bakery. Oh yeah. Um, Starter. Starter. Yeah. So that all, that all kind of happened after I had my departure from Wellington. But it's that's still cool. there and the city isn't. It's there, but it's not from my youth. They What's done, they've done a, food a couple of good ones around the country. Like um, after the earthquake, I remember Christchurch had that one with the um, all the containers on top of each other and food trucks and stuff. Yeah, that was good. I thought that was quite a good vibe to get a, a space that really needed some life in it going. And there was like music and those that delicious Suvlaki truck was there. What is it with Christchurch and Suvlaki? Yeah, they, it's a word sure. I've always struggled to pronounce as well. I, we didn't know what a souvlaki was, I think, until we went to Otago University and people would call what we would call a kebab in yeah. the North Island a souvlaki in the South Island. Are they the same? They're not the same. I think so. Well, it's a Greek thing. Yeah, I'll never forget when I was in Dunedin. James Dan did a story about it. And I asked the Turkish it. guy if I could please have some Greek yogurt on Ooh. my... Uh, yeah, he wasn't happy. Fair enough. That's like... Mixing metaphors. Fight to the death shit. Yeah. Right, yeah. Any favourite food court memories? Mine is, we used to go to the food court in 277 every day after school. And I'd oh, hi- I know what you're going to say. I'd hidden a uh, Coke cup inside the fire hydrant, the fire hose <laughs> thing. And so I'd go and get my, fire, my Coke cup every day after school and refill from the free refill place. That's genius. That was quite novel, that help yourself McDonald's. That was very weird. Eh? So there was just self-service Maccas. Yeah, but like the so, amount and of you would literally would help that yourself. took place from yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, from grammar boys in Auckland taking that invitation as Lots of one to help yourself <laughs> to a free cheeseburger. <laughs> but yeah, you just sort of like shimmy along like you were at a buffet, and then you could sit wherever you wanted, right? Those grammar. Um Jackets had lots of space for cheeseburgers inside them. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what 
other food courts. Um, I mean, there's food there's food precincts everywhere in Auckland now, isn't there? And I think that there's some really cool um, f- uh, with the farmers markets popping up um, at, at every weekend all over the show. Now you've got like options to go somewhere in the morning and have an array of delicious things to choose from. So we're pretty spoiled. That's the hardest thing. Like when I was in Commercial Bay this morning, I went to explore and do some research. And Where did you go? Run us through Where it. did I eat? Start from well, the I only beginning. ate two places, but I wanted to eat everywhere. I, li- I lined up at like four different places and moved on. Not because it didn't look good, but because I got sort of anxious about the amount that's there. So I guess that is, is the appeal of places that you have to go back again and again. Did and you again. have coffee at Kokako? No, I was. Um, I wanted to, but again, it was so busy. Right. So and there wasn't a place to sit down and uh, okay. get on the laptop. Yeah, it's a lovely little spot that Kokako. The whole place is, is stunning. Like beautiful. the the architect. Can you name the architect, Sophie? Like a good tenant. I can't. I know that the interior um, architect for. The food zone that I'm involved in was Paul Izzard. Which makes sense. I can, yeah. I couldn't tell you what his involvement was beyond that scope, so apologies. It is a that. beautiful space. Google it, Alice. It is a, like the the when you walk in uh, and you I look doing? across those uh, elevators, um, so escalators and the designs on them and the way the laneways actually look like laneways. Mm. It's a it's a Beautiful piece of design. Yeah, and it's nice how there's those like little resting spots. It's very ergonomic. Like outside um, some of the shops, there's seats where you can just sit if you want to rest for a minute, or your husband could wait outside a woman's clothes shop with a child instead of having to be in there. It's just, yeah, it's well thought out. Warren and Mahoney. Or is Warren, it and, Mar- Warren and Marnie. Marnie. Fuck. Alice. Yeah. Remember Jim Marnie? Yes, I remember Jim Marnie. <laughs> well. That's a very, very niche topic that won't be on this podcast. But Warren and Marnie is not a very niche architect, Alice. You should know that one. Oh, mama. Designed the Christchurch Town Hall. Oh, yeah. No, I, I feel like you it. know that I just your father's an I'd acoustic read engineer. I'd read it a lot, so. I didn't know how to pronounce Siobhan correctly until I was 19. Mm. Was I, still, so I still Pretty, find those like crazy. Gaelic names quite See your band. tricky. Yeah. What about Aoife? Yeah, that one's, whoo. Like, you may as well say it backwards. Yeah. And then that sounds more like how you should pronounce it. Yeah. I think Neve. N-I-A-M-P-H. Just H, I think. Oh, right. I find that one quite challenging as well. That's why old Jacinda just named her kid after me. Nevi. <laughs> so what are your favourite places in Commercial Bay, Ellis? Um, I actually have not, I have been only before I opened to go to Kukako to check it out. And then I went briefly before I was going to dinner up the road at Culprit. I went and, because my friends were having a drink there, but I didn't actually arrive from work in time to have a drink, so I just went up and had a look around. So I actually need to go, actually go proper, but that's what I wanted to do today, but we it all just got too hard. But I'm looking forward to going to Gochu because I went to the... They had a little pre-lockdown when they thought they were opening really soon. They had a little preview dinner at um, the candy shop, their other place in Newmarket, and the food was delicious, so I want to go there. I've eaten there. It's very, yeah. very tasty. Yeah. It's like so hipster it hurts. Sounds <laughs> like, right up my What does alley. that mean? Like you look around and everyone is wearing a beanie and like a sort of With ironic pair out. of spectacles. I actually felt kind of uncool. 
but the place is very cool. The food is very cool. They've got a bar offering too, which I think is like a really clever thing to do. So you can sit at their bar and have a drink while you wait for a table. Um, they've nailed the um, hero, I guess, of of a Korean chicken place. So the fried chicken is absolutely exceptional. I ate the most delicious crispy eggplant I think I've ever eaten in my life Ooh, there. Yeah, this, the eggplant. food's really, really worth trying. Have you been to Good Dog, Bad Dog? The I, I had a Good Dog from Good oh, Dog, yeah. Bad Dog today. How was it? It was it was probably the best hot dog I've ever had. Mm, what? Great. What was on it? It was the chili cheese hot dog. Yeah. I'm not... So chili- I'm not I'm not sure, sure I'm down with putting mac and cheese on your hot dog. Why not? It's pretty No, pretty I would have done what you did, the classic. But um, to me, what made it great, because hot dogs, you know, for what it's worth. It's reasonably average. They taste, yeah. and they all taste pretty similar. The bread from Loaf Bakery was so, it was like a cloud that had been toasted. Mm. It was, They're good at that. They do those slider buttons too. And there was not um doughy or stodgy at all and it changed the whole experience nice because hot dogs do feel like something it's it's almost a uh, guilty pleasure because it's quite basic but it was a really really good experience i don't think i've ever lost the five kilos that i put on from eating hot dogs in prague <laughs> well those hot dogs are different though as well yeah European... but you know those ones are all about the sausage and they're all different types of pork sausage and different levels of spice, and my lord, they are delicious. And you've become a master shawarma cover since Commercial Bay opened. Yeah, look, I think my team are probably still better than me at it, but I'm getting there. It's a good time. Like The Fatima's um, spit we opted to put on display for people to see when they walk past um, because it's the lamb is certainly my favourite meat on the menu. I really love the falafel and the veggie croquettes and the other things too but for me it's kind of the hero so we put it this bit right behind the counter where people order and people always look at it and they're like wow is that real lamb i'm like yeah it's 25 lamb shoulders on top of each other see i didn't realize that the genius of a lamb spit uh, um, vertical lamb spit was the fact that it slow cooks and fast cooks mm. at the same time. Mm. What? So you're getting that... The fat's rendering. Tensely rendered fat. And the meat's caramelising. And yeah. all... Oh, it's just genius. And that's why kebabs are so, so good. My um kebab man when I lived in Copenhagen, Copenhagen we became really close because I ate a lot of kebabs because they were about the only cheap thing in the entire country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel you. And he eventually let me climb over the counter and carve my own uh, lamb off Did the Did he spit. do an electric knife? No, I had a big sword. Yeah. Yeah, we just have a really sharp knife. I'm glad he didn't let. I was often very drunk. Um, it's quite a physical task, though. I've de- I've certainly noticed that I'm like pretty sweaty. It's a bit of an ordeal. Hence, hence the aroma in the studio today. Lovely. <laughs> You're welcome. Well, I'm really proud of us for making it to a third season. Two years, second birthday. We've cracked a few beers to celebrate. We've had some delicious sunny town from Commercial Bay. Yeah, it's good. Highly recommended. Very spicy. I'm sweating. Sunny town is um, my pick of the food court at the moment. I'm making my way around, but pretty delicious. Dan Dan noodles. If you like Sichuan food, it's... um, 
My tongue is numb. Sensational. Mm, I, that, I didn't find that that hot. That's so I interesting. I find it that hot, but a good, just a nice Maybe numbness. Maybe a bit into a chili. So please subscribe or follow our brand new Instagram account. Um, oh, yeah, we've got an Instagram account now. Keep your eyes peeled for, it's at Dietary Requirements Podcast, as I mentioned at the top of the pod that we're about to pre-record uh, in <laughs> retrospective, which is why everyone's confused. Um, and keep your eyes peeled for interesting things that we're hopefully going to do with Sophie's new business, The Village. We're looking to do some live pods. Yes, Ooh. that'll be fun. And we're really excited for the third season of Dietary Requirements it's gonna be to huge. be our best yet. Cheers to you all, and thank you, Tina, for your exceptional production, as always. Tina, I'm sorry my dog chewed through the cord of... That was recording the podcast. Two minutes into the podcast. We we could even leave it in. Two minutes into the podcast, Alice's dog ate the the equipment. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Anyway, thanks, everyone. Kakite. Bye. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.